I'm Rachel Perkins, and you're listening to the Nordic Nation podcast from Faster Skier. In this episode, we talk with Elena Sonnison, who is coming off her fourth consecutive victory at the American Birkebeiner in Hayward, Wisconsin. But the path between these victories, especially over the last two seasons, has not been smooth or linear. Elena has had standout results on the Super Tour, but that has not directly translated into consistent results on the World Cup, leaving her navigating the tricky waters of being what is often dubbed a bubble athlete. Last season, her reach goal was to make the Beijing Olympic team, which required putting all of her eggs in whichever race pathway basket was most likely to get her there. Ultimately, she was not named to the team, and a positive COVID test shortly thereafter rubbed salt in the wound. She ended the season one point shy of making the objective criteria for the national team selection in 2022. Elena has been open about all of these setbacks, and in particular, how difficult they can be to process in the moment. However, on paper, she has translated this journey into a career-best season. We talk through these experiences, where she's at now, and of course, the Berkey during this episode. But before we jump in, here's a quick note from this episode's sponsor, the Craftsbury Outdoor Center. U23 skiers and biathletes, where are you going this summer? If you're looking to take the next steps in your development, consider Craftsbury's U23 training program. This is a summer program for U23 athletes currently pursuing a college degree while competing at a high level in Nordic skiing or biathlon. The program provides elite level summer training experience in concert with the Craftsbury Green Racing Project. Whether you're hoping to get faster for collegiate skiing or have post-collegiate aspirations, spend this summer in Craftsbury working on the skills, strength, and fitness that will help you take that next step. Learn more about the program and apply today at greenracingproject.com. So to kick this off, how are you, first of all, and can you give a little update on uh, where you're at in terms of location, races, and kind of just um, the season in general? Yeah, I am currently in Oslo, Norway. I am getting ready for the Holmenkollen World Cup this weekend. The men race tomorrow and then the following day the women race in what is going to be the first 50k for women on the World Cup ever. So pretty excited to be part of that historical moment. Um, But I guess kind of looking back overall, it's definitely been a long season. I think this has been the longest season I have ever endured. (laughs) And there have been plenty of highs and lows throughout of it. But, you know, I came over to Europe back on November 5th and was racing World Cups through early February. And then I went home to Minnesota for about two and a half weeks. And then flew back over to Europe for the last month of racing. And then I will wrap up my season by the end of March. Cool. Just we'll start by kind of rewinding to last season, if that works. Um, Yeah. You were pretty open about just the the challenges and setbacks that you faced throughout the season. Um, You you had COVID at really an unfortunate time. Um, You also needed to kind of make a choice between the tour to ski and U.S. nationals, which maybe involves some gambling with odds in terms of trying to make the Olympic team. Um, and I think really we're just in such a tricky position in terms of being like right on the cusp of a lot of things and then also facing some of these factors that are completely outside of your control. Can you talk about just what were some of the biggest highs and lows that you felt? Yeah, it was a whirlwind, a lot of emotions kind of a roller coaster the whole season. Uh, Started off last season on a really high note. I was racing super tours in the Midwest on courses that I knew in front of a home crowd and, you know, able to sleep in my own bed most nights. And that was awesome. And I loved it, but um, raced really well, qualified for the tour to ski and was facing this dilemma kind of before Christmas on trying to decide do I go to U.S. Nationals and try to qualify for the Olympics based off of my results there? Or do I go over and race on the World Cup during the Tour to Ski and try to you know, qualify for the Olympics there? And what's really you know, great and really hard to deal with is the fact that there is this Olympic criteria that is 
spelled out for us, but there are so many different methods or ways or options to qualify for the Olympics. So, for example, the first way is to get a top, I think it's either eight or 10 individual results in the Olympic event. So last year it was a skate sprint. So if you got top eight in the skate sprint on the World Cup, then you'd automatically qualify for the World Cup or sorry, for the Olympics. Um, So that's kind of a very quick, objective way to qualify. Then the second method is uh, through discretion. And that is basically just like the coaches decided you made it and going into the Olympics the um the team came out with a statement saying that it's unlikely anyone will be qualifying based off of discretion so then it left method three which was to be ranked in the top 50 on the world cup in either sprint or distance and in order to be in that position you have to have scored World Cup points, which means at the time you had to have placed in a top 30 individual result on the World Cup. So that was kind of one of the options that I was looking at. And then the final, the fourth and final method to qualify is if there are any spots left at the end of all of those other methods, then they will take whoever's listed as super tour leader or whoever's listed um, kind of on the domestic racing list based off of your super tour points. So my original plan had been trying to stay super tour leader throughout U.S. nationals and get that, you know, leftover spot that might be available. But as I was looking at the way things were shaking up during period one of last season, To me and to everyone I talked to, coaches, you know, teammates, friends, family, all of my support system, it looked like there was not going to be another spot left for a domestic skier to qualify for the Olympics. And so that meant that it had to come down to, are you ranked in the top 50 on the World Cup? Have you scored World Cup points? And so that meant I had to go do the tour to ski. So I made that decision. I wasn't, you know, 100% confident in it. I didn't know if I had never been top 30. I had never scored World Cup points, but I did believe I was in really great shape. I was feeling amazing. I was excited to race. Um, And so I went over there and did whatever I could during the tour to ski, and it did not work out for me. I did not score a single World Cup point. I was close a couple of times, but it was just the the cards were not in my favor and um and they did end up taking one person from that domestic list that had qualified via US nationals and that person didn't get a single start at the olympics so it's really hard to know you know had i done something differently would i have qualified for the team would i have raced at the olympics i don't know and we'll never know. Um, this was really hard, obviously, to process and swallow in the moment. Um, but I've definitely moved on from it. And I don't want, you know, it's not worth kind of holding a grudge over it or just letting it get me down at this point. Um, it was challenging in the moment, though, to process, especially because two days after the tour to ski, when I realized I hadn't made it and World Cups were getting canceled and there was no way to make it home to race well to to qualify, um, I tested positive for COVID. So even if I wanted to try to do any of those options, it was not going to happen. I got so sick. I was down and out. And um, so that definitely just everything kind of came to a jolting stop. And I um, luckily was in Europe with my boyfriend and we both had COVID and we were quarantining together and he helped me kind of make the most of the situation. But uh, there were tears and I was sad (laughs) and disappointed and, um, you know, took the time to kind of lick my wounds. And then I think a blessing in disguise, I guess, is that I had 
plenty of time to rest and recover after the tour. And so I kind of got healthy again, came back to racing in the US and was in phenomenal shape because I had gained the fitness from the tour, completely rested after it, and then came back to race and felt amazing. So ended up having a really awesome second half of the season, had so much fun racing domestically, came back over for a few more World Cups and Europa Cup finals and, um, you know, always kept the perspective in the back of my mind of why I, why I ski race, why I love it. And um, being home is always helpful to remind me of that and being in front of that, you know, American ski community just it, it helps lift you up. And so, um, yeah, it was a tough season to go through all in all, but I definitely ended it on a high note and still very excited to continue racing. And now kind of having some perspective and time to process all of it, what did you learn from those experiences and kind of like carry forward into the season, whether that is, you know, aspects of traveling back and forth to Europe, whether it's you know, navigating the World Cup or even just sort of the idea of like compartmentalizing and moving on and and kind of um, being able to give yourself another like a fresh start after something doesn't go your way. What are some of the, the big lessons that stand out from that? I think that no matter how much you try to overanalyze every situation or plan out a season or decide when you're going to peak or when you're going to be able to make a team or have the best races. There are so many variables that are just completely out of your control. And so all you can really do is set goals, work hard, work towards those goals and try your hardest to achieve them. And, you know, if you have done all of those things, then at the end of the day, it's something at least that I can be proud of and, and live with and, continue to, you know, it continues to excite me and inspire me. So there are just so many things out of my control. But um, I think as a whole, as I went through everything last season, that was a big uh, learning point for me. And then there were also so many other smaller parts, you know, traveling back and forth to and from Europe, kind of feel like it's a breeze for me at this point. (laughs) Um, I know how to get over jet lag super easy. Um, I have learned how to jump back into the World Cup scene where, you know, there are health protocols and there are so many other details that you have to pay attention to. And I know I can, I can do that. It doesn't exhaust me the way that it once would have. So that's, that's, I guess, a good, a good point. Um, but then it also helps me appreciate when I have those little breaks in the season and also, um, you know, reminds me that I need those breaks because last year, even though I had COVID and was heartbroken about the Olympics, I got a really great two and a half week break in the Dolomites with my boyfriend and my sister and brother-in-law came over to visit after I was, um, done with my quarantine. And we had this amazing experience skiing in the mountains and, Um, that left me rejuvenated and just so excited to continue on with the season. And so I know now I I need those. I can continue to perform at a high level as long as I have those um, intermediate or, you know, I guess breaks throughout the season. And so there were, there were a lot of lessons that I could take away. (laughs) heading into the season you I think were one point away from being named to the US key team on the objective criteria can you kind of bring us back to that moment too and you know just in staying with all of these different setbacks and kind of the highs and lows of um what I want to talk about is which is kind of being essentially a bubble athlete right and going back and forth and being right on the cusp what were your initial feelings when you recognized that or, or um, saw the, the list come out and kind of knew where you stood? And how did you refocus on kind of the season ahead from that? It was a bittersweet moment to realize that I was one fist point away from making the national team. I have never made the national team, and this is by far the closest I had ever been. And so to see 
wow, I was only one fist point away from making the national team. I'm stoked on that. That's so cool. That's better than I've ever done. I'm making progress. But then to realize, wow, I was only one fist point away from making the national team and I didn't make it. That's kind of upsetting. And, you know, I had conversations with coaches and they said, you were so close. We talked about uh, nominating you, but ultimately we decided not to discretion anyone onto the team. And when I heard that, I I could live with that. I understood, you know, they have to make draw a line, make a call at some point. And so I was able to swallow that and move on. And then the nominations came out publicly, and I saw that they had discretioned two other athletes onto the team. And so that was another really tough pill to swallow because they basically said, we're not going to do this for you without saying the for you part. So I do feel like I have been in these positions where it just, it, you know, the the extra hand has definitely not been provided and no one, I'm I'm not saying I deserve it at all. I'm not asking for the extra hand, but I am noticing that these extra hands are being provided for other athletes or other situations. And so that hurts a lot. (laughs) And um, I just, I kind of just have to learn how to take that. And it's been something, it's happened numerous times and um, it definitely continues to, I guess, keep a, fire in my belly to keep going and keep trying and you know I again I saw that I was only one fist point away from qualifying and that you know left me to believe it is possible I can do this and it still gave me that realization I am progressing I am getting better and so I think as a whole as a bubble athlete it is there are so many hoops and challenges that you have to navigate But ultimately, if you're a bubble athlete and you're continuing to progress, I still think that that is the most important part. And, you know, obviously that you are enjoying it and and want to continue. And um, and so I guess that kind of wraps up that thought. (laughs) You're a member of the Stratton Mountain School T2 team, which means that you've got two of the best American women, Jesse Dickens and Julia Kern, as training partners in the summer. Plus two other women, Lena Sutro and Lauren Jortberg, I think that's the whole team, right? Who are either fully racing domestically or kind of in a similar situation as far as like going back and forth to Europe and just navigating the waters of of being a little bit of a bubble athlete. And I think like what you're saying, first of all, thank you for being honest and open about all of it. Um, and I think there's a lot that, you know, the, the majority of developing skiers are not going to be like turn into Jesse Diggins, right? There's a lot of people who are going to, whether it's whatever level you're at, whether it's making a college team or junior nationals or the U.S. ski team, there's always going to be people that are right on the cusp and have to process years where things don't go their way or they don't achieve that goal and and um, maybe they achieve it later on or maybe they don't. Um, so it's really great to have, have your perspective. With that um, training group and, and kind of going back to the Stratton Mountain team, I imagine that that being in that group is is probably net inspiring, right? Like having those women to work with, um, especially having someone like Jesse, who is now kind of one of the the most decorated American skier of all time. Um, But does it ever also make it harder to kind of like stay in the moment with process goals and, and be proud of where you're at and just the progress that you've made and the steps forward that you're taking or do you sort of stay, you know, every athlete's sort of their own person. So it's not, you're not comparing yourself to other people on the team. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I do also want to add, we have um, another female on the team, Sydney Palmer Ledger. She is originally from the Park City and Sun Valley. You know, she, she skied there both places as a junior and then is currently a student at Utah, but she came out to Stratton this summer, just as a, a summer athlete and kind of, worked right into our crew and really loved what we were doing. And so um, she is now a part of the team as well. And we're happy to have her. And I think as a whole, the women that I train with all year long, 
it's why I have continued to want to ski and find success in skiing. Every single day, I learn so much from them. And, you know, we work so hard, but also have, I feel like everyone says that, you know, oh, we work so hard, but have fun doing it. And it seems so cheesy. But honestly, I do feel like that's exactly how we work. We show up and we're prepared and we will warm up for a workout and we're laughing and, you know, talking about the latest Netflix show or what else we're up to that day and having a good time. And then as soon as it's time to do intervals or put, you know, focus into it, we are dialed in and we are all committed to having the best workout that we possibly can. And sometimes that means that we're not always doing the same workout. You know, we have variation or individualization throughout the season, but no matter what, we are cheering for each other through the workout. And it is interesting because when it comes to the season, the racing season, you know, it is an individual sport. We are competing against each other. But every single moment throughout the year, we are cheering for each other as well. And so that is really special to be a part of. And I love working with all of the women on the team. And I owe so much to, um, you know, the women that have been on it over the years and have since retired even. You know, Sophie Caldwell and Catherine Ogden and Kelsey Finney are all women that I would not have made it to where I am if they had not been on the team as well. And so I think as a whole, the SMS team, our motto is local inspiration, international excellence. And I believe that we do prove that every single day. We're working with the SMS juniors uh, during the summer and fall. We're uh, you know, we do workouts with them or we host clinics or we visit with the Bill Coke League whenever we can, or we host uh, events throughout the community and and try to really work and inspire those younger athletes to continue uh, racing or, you know, even just skiing, just getting outside and enjoying it. But then we also have these big goals to compete and to succeed on the international level. And, you know, it took me, this is my fifth year on the team. It took me years to get to the point where I was finding international excellence. And my international excellence looks different than Jesse's or Julia's, but I still believe that I have achieved some level of international excellence. And it didn't happen my first year. I didn't race internationally, um, or at least not on the World Cup level. And there's obviously has to be this progression and this development. But I think what is really incredible is that Stratton has, they know how to, the system is set up to develop some phenomenal high, high end world-class athletes. So all of that to be said is that I truly believe it is one of the strongest clubs in the world right now. And especially for the women, there's just, the way we can work, I mean, I feel like the positive energy that we have on the team is contagious. And we had a huge group of summer athletes come out uh, this past summer. And it seemed like everyone had a really great time. And Stratton is a very secluded area where a lot of college kids would find themselves probably being bored because there is not much going on. But we had so much fun training and it was high level training and we all got so much better from it and I think they saw that and you know hopefully we can continue to grow as a club but it's just really really special to be a part of that that's really good perspective um so looking at summer training a little bit and maybe tying this in a little bit with what you're saying with kind of that um unplanned COVID break but it seems like this summer that you have in addition to all of the time that you're putting in for training, also built in some time to kind of mentally and physically recharge and maybe to quote Jesse, like a a big stupid or two. Um, I know that you were here 
where I live in Carbondale and um, ran the four pass loop, which is uh, an awesome 27 mile loop with a ton of climbing in um, four major passes in the Elk Mountains here. And I know you came and did that. And was this sort of a different approach that you had taken previously? And was it in response to maybe some of the challenges that you had last season? And then how would you carry forward some aspects of, of maybe what you think benefited you holistically from this summer, your approach? Yeah, I think given last season, I realized that I could do everything I was supposed to, quote, do right or do correctly to find success and still not find what I was looking for. And I think that is a huge lesson for me and for any developing athlete is that you can try and do whatever you can to search for a certain outcome. And again, there are just variables that are out of your control. And if you're going to be miserable doing that in the hopes of having a reward at the end, it's great if you reach that reward and you're happy with that and they balance each other out. But if you're sacrificing so much to the point where that balance isn't in equilibrium or you're not, the pros are not outweighing the cons, then to me, it's not worth it. And so last year, I went all in on trying to make the Olympics. And that meant that there were some cons that were outweighing the pros. And uh, I was hoping to take, I was taking that risk in the hopes of qualifying for an Olympic team and it didn't work out. And so moving forward, I knew I could not continue to, I was not in equilibrium. I couldn't continue to live and train and race and compete and love ski racing if I was not in equilibrium or a net positive. And so some of those cons that I am referring to are things like giving up time with my family, giving up time with my friends, missing out on um, certain social settings like weddings. I had nine weddings last year and I couldn't make it to every single one, but I think I made it to seven of them. And that was just not something I, I wasn't willing to give up. One of the weddings took place during our on snow training camp in the middle of August. And I had told my coach on April 1st, listen, I have to be, I'm in this wedding. I have to be there. I'm not willing to give that up. And so I just realized that I needed to find that equilibrium. I needed to find a net positive um, in order to sustain the lifestyle and continue to chase my dreams because I still have so many goals and I believe in myself so much of what I can still achieve as a ski racer that I don't want to be done. I don't want to give it up, but I also want to and need to enjoy it and enjoy life while I'm doing it. And I think that perspective has led to many amazing moments, such as the four pass loop this fall. My boyfriend and I were in Carbondale, Colorado, staying with my teammate, Lena. We were out there actually for a wedding and then had basically a week to kill before we met up with the team in Park City for an altitude training camp. And, you know, it was my, I think, fifth day at altitude. And there was this little weather, this pocket of weather where things could work out, where we did this loop and it's something that my boyfriend had really been wanting to do for a couple of years now. And he had been training for it with the goal of doing it. And I was still super on the fence of this is, sounds like such a fun idea and such a great experience, but also, you know, this does not actually make sense for what I'm trying to do with ski racing. It is such a huge day that it's going to leave me so tired later in the week or even the month that I'm not going to be able to have productive workouts to become then a better skier. And so it was a sacrifice that I had to make, but one that I'm so happy I did because we had an incredible time and uh, we were just out there in these beautiful mountains all day and I will always remember it. And um, 
I think those moments, you know, you have to weigh every single decision of, is this going to make me better or not? Okay, it's not going to make me better, but is it still worth it to me? And uh, I last year started accepting more of those <laughs> those opportunities where it's not necessarily going to make me better, but I need it for my own mental health. Yeah. Well, it seems like, at least from an outward perspective, that it has set you up, like all of this has set you up to take some steps forward this year. And, you know, you've cracked into the sprint heats a few times on the World Cup, um, in the top 30 for distance. You were named to the World Championship team. How are you feeling about this season? And um, when you think about some of these steps forward, what do you see as some of the factors that have kind of set you up to take them? It's funny because on paper, this is definitely the best season of my life ever. And I'm so proud of those top 30s that I have now to my name. And I honestly surprised myself during the first half of the season. I went in pretty skeptical just because I hadn't been feeling super great during training throughout the fall. And it was the first time I was starting the season on period one of the World Cup, which is known to be a very competitive and kind of cutthroat time of year racing. And so I kind of surprised myself throughout the first half and um I guess I lost my train of thought but (laughs) I think as a it's like it's funny because even though there's been so much success it then leads me to believe well what else is possible and okay that was great but I think I want more I know I want more actually and so I think I've had to kind of remind myself you know, throughout the whole world championship decision of, you know, realizing I didn't actually have starts there, I was, I was pretty bummed out, but I was still, I needed to remind myself I'd had some amazing races and, you know, I need to be proud of that. And again, it's, it just kind of continues to teach me. And I, I learn every single race of how I can be better. And, you know, during the tour to ski, I had probably one of the best races of my life where I had the fifth fastest time of day in a pursuit. And um, I was racing, you know, I think I crossed the finish line in 20th or somewhere around that. And so I was racing next to some of these women who were so strong, and I never had put myself in that category. And I was staying with them, and I was pushing the pace. And I was it was just kind of this whole new world for me where I'm like, this is possible. I want more of this. Actually, I don't want to be racing in the thirties. I want to be racing in the teens and the twenties and, and hopefully even better someday. Um, but it kind of, it took me again, it's taken me years to get to that point. And, um, it, it's something to be proud of, but also just kind of keeps the, I guess the dial keeps moving and I want to keep chasing it. Are those conversations that you have with like coaches and teammates as far as, you know, you want to, I think it's probably important to kind of celebrate the successes that you are having um, and not just be kind of hungry for what's next, what's next, what's next, but you still want to maintain that momentum, right? Of like, wow, I'm making progress. How can I do more? How can I do more? So how do you, what are some of the conversations like that you have about that aspect with whether that's yeah coaches teammates family yeah it definitely varies from uh experience or each scenario I think sometimes they do get brushed under the rug a little bit you know some of those highs because the season is just so fast paced and you don't even have time to celebrate. And so, you know, I had this outstanding result during the tour to ski and I crossed the finish line and realized what I had done and was just so full of joy and pride. And then it was like, okay, pack up your stuff. We have to go. We have a five hour drive to get to Italy tonight. Like we got to go make sure you get food, change your clothes. Let's go. We've got like 30 minutes. Come on. And I was like, oh my God, okay, I guess I like don't even have time to celebrate this because also we have this drive and then we also have two more, three more races this week that I need to try to get prepared for. And so I think that's one moment where I was like, I, I don't even have time to let it really sink in. 
until much later on. And um, that tends to kind of happen, I think, throughout the season because there's just so much going on and there's so many people you're around. And some people have these incredible races that you want to celebrate, but you also want to respect the people around you who, you know, didn't achieve their goal or are let down by what happened. And so um, you do kind of have to moderate your feelings a little bit and your emotions and be respectful of the people around you. And I think it, you know, the springtime is a great time to look back and reflect and celebrate and enjoy what you have done. And even if you, you know, it doesn't matter like how you have finished the season, where you're at, high or low, good or bad, you know, you can find good in every season. And um, the springtime is always a time that where I really look back and, and reflect on that and have those conversations with coaches, teammates, uh, friends, family, celebrate with them, um, cheers with them. And then also there's always a time of reflecting and saying, what could I do better? How can I, how can I change things for next year? How could I have done this differently? So, you know, you're kind of taking these snippets throughout the season and then in April you can kind of rest and reflect on everything that happened. So you, you mentioned kind of the decision between um, whether or not like you, you made the world championship team, but you also knew that you weren't going to have starts. And so consequently, you made the choice to come back and race a Super Tour weekend in Minneapolis and then go ski the Berkey. Can you talk a little bit about just that that decision and um, just what it was, the experience of kind of coming back and in that initial, you know, Super Tour races, just being back in Minnesota, in the Midwest, just what that experience was like for you at that point? Well, to be completely honest, to make that decision uh, was a lot of work and it was very challenging for me. I have never made a world championship team. I missed the Olympics last year. And I was so proud to have made this world championship team this year. And so to then realize that I wasn't going to get a start, I was really let down and um, I was emotional and uh, just sad and wanted to try to figure out how I was also exhausted. We, I had not taken a single race off during the entire world cup season. I had done, I'd started in every single world cup and I was so, so tired. So (laughs) I think my emotions, you know, I probably cried more than I really needed to, but um, it was, it was really hard to make that decision. And again, it was a decision that I discussed with my coach, my, um, you know, the program director at SMS, my family, um, the national team coaches, and uh, my boyfriend was there to support me through it. And then also, you know, the, um, the conversation that really steered me or just, I guess, steered me in the right direction or gave me the answer that I needed was a conversation that I had with a previous teammate of mine, Kelsey Finney. And she has such great perspective and understands, you know, she didn't, she asked the right, she just asked the right questions to help me realize what I wanted and what I needed in order to get the most out of the rest of the season. And out of the rest of whatever ski career I have and so ultimately she helped me come to the decision that I wanted to go home and rest I needed to sleep I needed to recover um and you know have have some fun and just enjoy ski racing and not have the stress of uh results or getting a top 30 or qualifying for a team or whatever it might be and so I know that there were some people in my immediate circle that did not agree with the decision that I made and thought that I should have gone to world champs and, you know, supported the team there and I guess experienced world champs. But I think ultimately looking back on it, I am happy with the decision that I made and I'm um, proud of it. And I think it really worked out well for me and I know that those people in my circle now believe the same as well so uh I think yeah it was it was a good decision and you don't have to answer this question but is like the financial opportunity cost there a factor as well like in you know 
you have the potential to win a Berkey, make a big check, right? Get a big check for for winning the Berkey versus maybe, I don't know what expenses might be, you know, accrued from more time in Europe, um, traveling to the world championships. And is that a part of your decision-making process as well? It is absolutely a factor in the decision-making process. Um, as as it would be, I think, for anyone in any type of career, you know, you're making a career decision and you have to assess your own financial budget and what you can afford and what makes sense in the long term. And so, you know, if you look at it in terms of a career, I think there are many people who would would consider their financial uh position a huge factor. Um, Luckily, I am at the point where I have the support from sponsors and the SMS team. And I also have a job of my own where I work 20 hours a week part time as a marketing strategist. And I have put myself in a position where I am financially stable enough to take the opportunities as they come. And so I didn't I know I I didn't need to come home and you know win the Berkey or try to win the Berkey and and get a big check but whenever you do see like wow I could go home and make a lot of money um it's definitely enticing (laughs) so it was a it was a factor it was not the only factor in my decision making so you're now a four-time Berkey winner. You, I think that's consecutive to right four for four, and that's closing in on Caitlin Gregg. I think she's got five Berkey wins. Right, talk through the race a little bit. So I think you're you're coming off winning a twenty k classic uh, Super Tour of the weekend prior, but then it sounds like you also were sick in between, and maybe even sick enough on race day that you were concerned that you might need to drop out. So how did all of this kind of shake out coming into race day? Yeah, I came off of that 20K at the Minneapolis Super Tour feeling confident and strong and excited to race the Berkey. I have experience at the Berkey. I know those trails. I, um, you know, I grew up, my parents have a cabin 10 minutes from double O. So I, I know almost every kilometer on that course by heart. Um, and so I was really, really looking forward to another great Berkey. And I was pretty upset when I woke up on Tuesday morning with a sore throat. Um, aside from a sore throat at that point, there was no other symptoms. I, I did take, I took the day completely off from training. Um, I still, you know, packed my bags and headed north with the assumption, like, I'm just going to keep going through the motions. Um and woke up Wednesday morning still with a sore throat, but no other symptom at all. Um, still felt like energy levels were fine. And so I went for like the lightest, babyest ski to go shake things out and just kind of get some fresh air. And came back and it wasn't until Wednesday evening um, where I just hit a brick wall and went down so, so fast. Um, went to bed early, tried to sleep as much as I could, woke up Thursday feeling pretty awful and just kind of locked myself in my room and tried to sleep and drink tea and watch Ted Lasso and uh, do whatever I could to to rest and, and recover from this. But it was, it was all in the head. I think that was a huge part of, um, you know, ultimately deciding to race. Um, Nothing was in the lungs or the heart. The breathing was completely fine because that is when things get scary of like long-term, long-term damage if you do, you know, push yourself in that setting. So ultimately, even Thursday night, Friday morning, I woke up and I was still like, I don't think I can race. And I also had the perspective of, you know, I'm, I'm here to win. I'm not here just to finish the Berkey. And, uh, I would love to at some point race the Berkey without that mindset, but currently I was, you know, this season I'm in the mindset of I'm, I'm here to win. And so I didn't want to take the risk of not believing I could reach that and then having long-term effects of being sick for another two or three weeks throughout the rest of the season. 
But ultimately on Friday, you know, I, I took in a leave. I and that was the first leave that I had taken. And gosh, I need I would love to be sponsored by a leave because I think it's like a miracle drug and I just <laughs> felt amazing all of a sudden. And so I went out and tested skis, still like was very skeptical, but just continued to kind of go up from there. And so by Friday afternoon or evening, I was like, wow, maybe maybe this can work out. I don't know. Um Started going through the motions and uh, did pack a bag in my mom's van to be at Double O. She was giving me a feed um, just in case I needed to drop out. And I just told myself, like, you know what, Elena, just do it. See how it goes. If you drop out, it's not the end of the world. If you go to the start and you don't start, it's not the end of the world. I can just drive right home. And so I kind of just kept checking in with myself, like, every hour of how are you doing what do you think? How do you feel? And then made it to the start line. The gun went off every single kilometer, continued to check in with myself. Um, How are you doing? How can you get to the finish line in the best shape? You know, where are you tactically going to make decisions so that you can benefit from them later on? So ultimately um, my game plan going into the Berkey, you know, a week prior, I had been hoping to make a break at double O and keep that through to the finish. And that was, I was no shape to do that (laughs) uh, in the moment. And so I just kind of kept, you know, I was putting in some work, I was leading, I was putting in some surges and, and doing my part, but I also was happy to draft and happy to work with the other girls and um you know it kind of came down to a crucial moment climbing out of fish hatchery with jessica and she put in a move and i was like that one's that one's gonna stick so i i raced to catch up to her and then i was like if we're gonna do this we got to do this so i took the lead then and i just kind of gave everything i could from fish hatchery until we got to the lake and um, you know, in that time, I think it's three kilometers and we put in a minute on the rest of the group. So um, put in some work for sure. <laughs> and, um, and then obviously when you when you reach Main Street, the crowd there is just so incredible that it's hard not to let it just carry you up Main Street. <laughs> and um, it was a very exciting Berkey and every single Berkey win that I've had has been so different and every experience has been so special in their own ways. Um, and this one is, is the same. I would say they're all very, they mean a lot to me and I will never take a Berkey or a Berkey win for granted. Over those four races, how has your, approach to the race changed so you kind of said like you you grew up with a cabin on the trails you know the trails super well I know that you've raced there growing up as like you know in the shorter distance races and things like that so in terms of the the full Berkey what are some of the strategies that you've kind of found are effective for you and how has that kind of changed over the course of just having more experience doing the full the full Berkey well I'm I'm much more confident now than I was in my first Berkey. The first Berkey, I did not really try to go for any of the preems um, throughout, you know, there's one at 3k and there's one at about 22k around double O. And it just, I wasn't, I wasn't in it for that. And and then ever since then, I've been more confident to, to go for those bonuses. But I think it goes back to kind of the preparation, both mentally and physically going into each Berkey, knowing, you know, some of the workouts that I feel like I need to do or will help me become more confident in it. And um, a lot of those workouts start earlier in the month. Um, I use a lot of fitness from just like the World Cup or Super Tour racing that we do, but um, definitely trying to get in some of those longer skis, some big threshold workouts. But then when it comes to Berkey week, I just completely take it back. And, you know, maybe I'll do some hard, short intervals, but by Berkey week, you're not going to, you're not going to become faster at the Berkey. You're just, if you just tire yourself out, you're just going to be tired for the Berkey. So um, it's kind of just all about what you've already put in the bank. And 
mentally then going into it, um, you know, with the, the proper preparation of fueling and clothing and just knowing and visualizing the course and understanding like there could be a break here or the, the pace could be really hot here and this is how I'm going to respond. And so I kind of have just continued to take the lessons that I have learned throughout all of my ski racing career and applied it to the Berkey then and, you know, being mentally prepared for anything that could happen in the race or it could go in any direction and um, knowing how to respond to those and when to compete with those surges and when to, you know, maybe say that one's not for me. <laughs> um, but I think that every Berkey, you know, you just learn so much from each experience and, and they're all really fun. So I hope one day to be a birch legger as well. <laughs> what would your advice be for just like the general master's gear who is looking to just set themselves up to have the best possible race outcome for themselves that day with maybe the asterisk that racing at the front of the women's elite field is a little different than, you know, if you're like in wave six and you're just in this like massive accordion, that's a little different, but um, yeah. (laughs) What would be some of your kind of like generalized advice for approaching the race and just setting yourself up to succeed? Pack a lot of snacks and make sure you eat those snacks and fuel properly because that is a huge part of it. Work with the people around you because no matter what, they are going to help you get to the finish line faster and in better shape. Um, Enjoy the course that you're on. You know, the Berkey Foundation does a phenomenal job every single year of putting together this event and keeping those trails in pristine condition and working with what mother nature can provide. I think in the history of the American Berkebiner, it's been canceled maybe twice because of lack of snow and the other years, you know, they just, they somehow make it work every single year. Um, And they're beautiful trails. So just appreciate them and also appreciate the entire week um, as it's uh, as a whole, you know, the enthusiasm and energy and atmosphere that is in Cable and Hayward throughout the week is just contagious and it just is an amazing thing to be a part of. Everyone loves skiing. Everyone loves being outside. Everyone wants to cheer for each other and they're, it's just, it's so much fun. And so just kind of take the time to appreciate who you're around and what you're doing with them. I have a couple more questions for you before we wrap up. Um, One is you started your own podcast this year, the Extra Blue Podcast, which has been really great. I really have enjoyed the different, like the variety of guests that you've had on there and just really kind of an inside look at just the experience um, that you are having as a professional skier. And I'm curious just how this came about. Like what was, was this a project that you had been interesting in, interested in doing for a while or was it more spontaneous and, and just what was the evolution of that? Um, so I love listening to podcasts when I'm driving, when I'm training alone, um, when I'm just doing anything really. I, I really enjoy podcasts. I love hearing conversations. You know, some of them are educational and, and very factual and then some of them are just entertaining and I'd say I love a wide variety of podcasts, but I I listen to a lot of running podcasts. My my family comes from a strong running background, and um, I follow the professional running scene quite closely. And so, this you know, I'd say for about a year, I'd been listening to some running podcasts, and I'm like, wow, this is really interesting information. And it'd be so cool if like I could have these conversations with other skiers or if other people, other Nordic skiers had access to some of the conversations that I have with my teammates or my sports psych or my nutritionist or my strength coach or whoever it might be, like they can learn from this. And it wasn't until I was on a solo run in Park City this fall, I was listening to a running podcast and I was like, there's just so much gold in here. I wish... I could share something like this with the ski community as well. And I came back from that run and looked at Lena and Lauren, my teammates. And I was like, I think I'm going to start a podcast about skiing. (laughs) They were like, okay, whatever. I don't know. And 
you know, I think it, I presented it as this like crazy idea of like, okay, she's not actually going to do that. And then I decided like, why not? Why not at least try? And so I got help from um, various other podcasters or creative people that I knew and um, kind of started putting it together and uh, went through my first couple of episodes and was really nervous, but also excited to be doing it and just also didn't really know what I was doing, but learned very quickly. Um, And now I feel like it's just, it's so much fun. I love the interviewing process. I love the conversations and the moments that we can share on the podcast. I think the editing is still something that I need to get a little more excited about. I have um, a couple times now recorded some episodes with guests and waited like a month before I actually edit it and release it. And that is, it's like the conversation is still applicable, but it's a little bit outdated by that point. Um, So I think I need to get a little bit better at that, but it is so much fun. I love, I, I love it and I'm excited to continue with it. Yeah, it definitely, I think it has its own, like I sort of would got thrown into this a little bit and I have learned a lot and still have a lot that I am working on and will continue to work on. And, but it's the learning curve, I think is different than I expected it to be like different challenges, different, um, different, what I'm learning is different than maybe I thought initially going into it, it would be like, um, so what has that experience been like for you? Like what has been different than you expected? Um, where do you think kind of the, the biggest learning curves are? Like you just mentioned editing. Um, and, and yeah, where where you do you hope to kind of like grow the most if in continuing this project? I think the biggest takeaway is to hear reviews from the audience that you're speaking to and the people who you're trying to share this podcast with and take their feedback and use it in the way that you want to because I have received so much great feedback about the podcast but I've also received so many recommendations on how to make it better and a lot of these recommendations um, don't correlate with each other you know some some people say like, oh, include more information about what you're doing in skiing. Like, where are you in the world? And what race did you just do? And how's training going? And some people say, we're not here to listen to you talk about your training. We're here to listen to your guests. So like, just skip over that part. So it's kind of been funny to just um, take all of that feedback in and be like, okay, well, I'm going to try to make everyone a little bit happy at least. And if people need to skip through the parts where I'm talking about myself, they can and if people only listen to the okay so one other podcast question if you could have anybody in the world on who would you want to interview and what would you like to discuss does not have to be a skier I think I would want to welcome (laughs) um the uh previous director or president of FIS. Um, you know, I don't even know his name, which is really horrible of me, but he has made it very challenging for women to compete at the same level as men over the years. For example, he came out publicly and said that women's ski jumping or Nordic combine cannot be a FIS or World Cup event because the women they might lose their uterus while they're flying in the air and or it might fall out of their body and um i would just love to kind of explore that with him and really understand why he would say something like that and if he's ever taken a biology (laughs) class or had you know i guess any education (laughs) so um i just feel like the equality amongst any social system should be there and if someone disagrees then I would want to talk to them about it and better understand why they disagree um because it's just something that my mind can't I can't wrap wrap my head around it of why anyone would would feel that way so um I think yeah it'd be a very interesting conversation (laughs) 
Yeah, that is a very different direction than I was expecting, <laughs> but I am here for it, and I would love to listen to that interview. Um, yeah, that's pretty pretty. It's like mind boggling to me that people can believe that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then last question for you, just. Um, shout outs as far as like who has been someone in your in your corner this season just helping support your progress or helping this you know feel sustainable or enjoyable or or whatever 100% my boyfriend has helped me get through so much um (laughs) so big shout out to him also my mom is one of my best friends and she helps me get through any good day or bad day she's ready for a celebration or a nap, whatever it, it needs to be done. <laughs> um, and then my teammates also, all of my, my Stratton teammates, they, they, I guess we just know each other so well at this point and um, support each other and can celebrate together and also work through the challenges together and have some, you know, we just understand the perspective of each of each other so they have helped me get through so much awesome that's all i have for you so thank you so much for your time and coming on okay well thank you so much for having me on 